0: Hello, you are listening to the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number five. I am your host, Noah Rachetta and today I'm talking about death, mindful living, and karma. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Secular Buddhism Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining SecularBuddhism.com is my website and blog, and this is the podcast that goes along with it. The Secular Buddhism podcast is produced every week, and it covers the philosophical topics within Buddhism. I also plan on interviewing other guests, authors, teachers, and really anyone who's interested in philosophy, secularism, humanism, and of course Buddhism. i like to start this podcast with a piece of advice from Tenzin Gyatso, the 14th Dalai Lama. Do not try to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. Please keep this in mind as you listen and learn about the topics and concepts discussed in this podcast episode. So the first four episodes of this podcast, and including this one, so the first five episodes total, are intended to be a summary of the overall Buddhist philosophical concepts. So the idea is that after listening to the first five episodes of this podcast, you have a basic understanding of the Buddhist worldview, the secular Buddhist uh, worldview, and specifically the uh, philosophical understanding of the various topics. So we've talked about uh, several of these topics, and today we're talking about life and death, uh, what it means to live mindfully, what is karma. And then these are kind of the final topics to have a rounded uh, understanding of, of Buddhist philosophy. So I want to start talking about life and death, specifically death. According to the Buddha, we can actually use our lives to prepare for death. See, we don't have to wait for the painful death of someone close to us or the shock of cancer to force us into looking at our lives. We can actually begin here and now to find meaning in our lives. We can make uh, of every moment an opportunity to prepare for death. In the Buddhist approach, life and death are are really seen as one whole, where death uh, is simply the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. Death is a mirror in which the entire meaning of life is reflected. If we refuse to accept death now while we're still alive, then we're going to pay for it dearly at the moment of death. By ignoring The reality of impermanence, which we've talked about, and the greatest understanding of impermanence is the realization that we are impermanent, so our own death. Um, We're not going to be able to live our lives fully if we don't keep this in mind, that we're impermanent. So the goal in Buddhism isn't to achieve happiness. It's to achieve liberation or freedom. And once you've come to understand that life is impermanent, you can transcend this pursuit of happiness and the constant running away from fear that is so common in our lives and you learn to live uh, by letting go. Letting go is the path to real freedom. Letting go of the idea that we are permanent and understanding that we are impermanent and death is a, a fantastic way to do this. This idea is expressed by Montaigne in the following um, quote. He says, there's no place on earth where death cannot find us. Even if we constantly twist our heads about in all directions, as in a dubious and suspect land, if there were any way of sheltering from death's blows, I am not the man to recoil from it. But it is madness to think that you can succeed. Men come and and they go, and they trot and they dance, and never a word about death. All well and good, yet when death does come, to them, to their wives, their children their friends catching them unawares and unprepared, then what storms of passion overwhelm them, what cries, what fury, and what despair. To begin depriving death of its greatest advantage over us, let us adopt a way to clean, contrary to that common one. Let us have nothing more often in mind than death. We do not know where death awaits us, so let us wait for it everywhere. To practice death is to practice freedom. A man who has learned how to die has unlearned how to be a slave. Again, that's from uh, Montaigne. In my personal studies of Buddhism, I've come to understand that the ultimate goal in Buddhism is not at all about happiness. It's completely about freedom. To practice death is to practice freedom. And yet, the only requirement to be happy is to be free. So happiness is the result, but happiness isn't the goal. And there are two things we can confidently say about death. It is an absolute certainty that we will die, and it is uncertain when or how we will die. So keeping those two things in mind, you might wonder, well, why why do we fear death? Well, because our instinctive desire is to live and to go on living, and death is an end to everything that we hold familiar. And perhaps the deepest reason why we're afraid of death is because we don't know who we are see, we believe in a permanent, personal, unique, and separate identity. But if we dare to examine it, we find that this identity depends entirely on an endless collection of things to prop it up. Things like our name, our memories, our partners, our family, our job, our friends, our possessions. And it's on their fragile and impermanent support that we rely on for our security. So when these things are all taken away, will we have any idea of who we really are? Without these things, we're faced with just ourselves, a person that we don't know, a stranger with whom we've been living this whole time, but we never really wanted to meet. And we smother our secret fears of impermanence by surrounding ourselves with more and more goods, more and more things, more and more comforts, only to find ourselves as their slaves. And a close encounter with death can bring a real awakening, a transformation in our whole approach to life. About three years ago, my good friend and business partner, Jordan, was diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma. We had already been meeting regularly every Tuesday for lunch to discuss business, but over the next several months after his diagnosis, our topics of discussion were increasingly focused on life and death, and our business matters kind of became secondary. Many months later, it became more and more clear that the end was getting closer. And I remember asking Jordan one time, said, Jordan, what does it feel like to know that you're dying? I was genuinely curious about what that would be like to know. And his response was so powerful. And it caused a a, a change in, in my perspective. He said, I don't know. You tell me. And he pointed out that I'm dying too. I just don't know when, but there's a chance that I could be in a car crash on my way home and that I'd end up dying before him. He said, most likely I'll die before you, but there's no guarantee So what does it feel like to know that you might die before me? And he flipped the question on me. You see, we're all dying. Some people just die sooner than others. And those who understand just how fragile life is know how precious it is. We don't need to go into a cave and meditate for the rest of our lives. We just need to start living in the present moment. The past is past and the future is not yet here. And even the present, as we experience it, it becomes the past. So Really, the only thing we really have is now. It is only when we believe things to be permanent that we shut off the possibility of learning from change. Sogyal Rinpoche says, life is nothing but a continuing dance of birth and death. It's a dance of change. Understanding change and impermanence can bring about a new way of living, mindful living. That's what I want to talk about next, but First, I I really want to convey this understanding, this idea that the only thing we really have is now and that everything that we need to be happy can be found in the present moment. And this is what I mean by this. You might be thinking, well, you know, we talked about this earlier, the concept of the three poisons in Buddhism, which is thinking that there are things that if we can have we'll be happy or if there are things that we can avoid, we'll be happy. And the third one is ignorance. It's the ignorance of, of thinking that way. For example, you might be thinking, well, I would be a lot more happy right now if, and then plug in whatever it is that comes to your mind. There's no doubt there's something there. But mindful living is the realization that everything that I need to be happy is already here. It's to be found in the present moment. And, and this is a little mental exercise you can do that helps you become aware of this. I want you to imagine that at some point during the day, you get the dreaded phone call that a family member or a loved one, someone you deeply care about, has cancer and it's terminal. And I want you to imagine what that would be like. And maybe some of you are experiencing this. This will make make this experience even more powerful. Whatever the situation is that you're in now, imagine a simple phone call away that makes it significantly worse. Someone was in a car accident. Uh, Something that changes everything. I want you to imagine what that would be like, whatever that scenario is. And now you're in this new scenario and look back at what you are right now. So what you are right now is the past because you're playing this part in a future scenario that is really difficult to be coping with. Wouldn't you give anything to go back to how life was in this specific moment with everything that you currently have on your plate? Because that's the understanding of mindful living is realizing I'm mindful of the fact that everything that I need to be happy is contained in the present moment, right here, right now. All it takes is a phone call to change that, to put things in perspective. And in a new scenario, you would give anything to go back to how things were now. And if you could, and you could go back, you'd think, Oh man, now life is good. Now I have everything. I couldn't ask for anything more. I just want to go back to how it was. And yet that's exactly where you are now. That's the scenario that we're in now. The present moment contains everything that is perfect about what would change if the future made things worse. You know, you don't have to just think of, you know, something drastic like uh, the death of a loved one. Imagine, imagine that tomorrow you're put in jail for something that you didn't do, or you are stranded on a deserted island. Um, So many scenarios and then under that new scenario, you'd be you'd be thinking I'd give anything to go back to how life was yesterday, with all the problems that I had. You know, maybe work wasn't the best, but I'd give anything to be back at work with my mean boss and my uh, low paycheck, because now I'm sitting in prison for something I didn't do. You know, that's that's how fast a scenario can change. That will make you look back and reflect on what is the present, and it'll look so much better than whatever new scenario you're in. And yet that's exactly the scenario that we're in now. This concept is ordinary mindfulness, ordinary bliss. And a friend of mine uh, once called this radical okayness. And I plan on doing a whole podcast episode on this concept, but I like the term radical okayness. We're living in a moment of radical okayness. Everything's okay the way it is, because this is just the way that it is. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about mindful living. Milarepa, famous Tibetan poet, says, My religion is to live and die without regret. So our minds have two positions. We're we're either looking out or we're looking in. And all the teachings and training in Buddhism are aimed at at this one single point, to learn to look into the nature of the mind, to learn to look in and to free us from the fear of death, and help us realize the truth of life. Looking in, is it's not easy. It's very difficult. We're so addicted to looking outside ourselves, whether that's that we're seeking peace or happiness or joy, we don't even realize that we've made our lives so hectic and distracted that it's virtually impossible to look in. So in a world full of distraction, silence and stillness terrifies us. But when we learn to look in, We can become awakened and enlightened to the central truth of the Buddha's teaching, which is that we are already essentially perfect. Life is already essentially perfect. It's this concept of radical okayness. And when you awaken to this reality, it's like having the tinted glasses removed. And suddenly life looks different. And it's not that life changed. It's that the way that we see life changed. And yet that changes everything. Our true nature and the nature of all beings is not something extraordinary. It is unexpectedly ordinary. And yet it's that ordinariness that makes it so extraordinary. It's ordinarily perfect. So living a mindful, awakened life is a lot like uh, playing at the beach with with kids. And I recently got back uh, from a trip where we were playing on the beach. My kids and I were building a sandcastle. And what's fun about this is even if the kids start fighting over whose turn it is to use the shovel or complaining that their wall was knocked down or the tower was stepped on or whatever form of drama can arise for them, you as the uh, parent or adult, you don't feel the same level of anxiety or drama over the sandcastle because you know that at the end, a wave will come and wash it all away. It's completely impermanent. And in a similar way, life becomes a lot like the experience uh, of building the sandcastle when you know life is impermanent, it's not as necessary to get caught up in the drama of it. Um, Another way to view this is like going to a movie. You can watch a movie and you still feel the emotions. You can cry in a movie. You can feel joy, sadness, fear. You jump when you're scared. Um, You can feel compassion for the characters. and, And the whole time you completely understand that it's just a story. None of it's real. And this is how we start to learn to see life. We start to thoroughly enjoy the experience of living authentically because we can start to glimpse just how fragile and perfect life already is. We can enjoy every aspect of our impermanent nature, the times that we feel good and the times that we feel bad. They're both just part of the beautiful experience of being alive. On this topic of happiness, Wayne Dyer has a a quote I really like. He says, there's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. And there is no way to enlightenment. Enlightenment is the way. So I want to talk about the nature of being awake. In Buddhism, this is called Buddha nature. And what is the nature of being awake? Well, it's the state in which we can truly grasp the nature of impermanence. And this allows us to learn, grow, and change. What is our nature, our innate way of being? Well, wisdom capability, loving kindness, compassion. These are are things that we're born with. It's frustration, jealousy, guilt, shame, anxiety, greed, competitiveness. These are all experiences that we learn. And it's often through the influences of our culture, our families, our friends, and, and it's reinforced by personal experience. But many of us don't recognize our Buddha nature. And we don't until it's pointed out to us. It's kind of like a man who received a watch as a gift from a friend, and he just thought it was a bracelet. So he's wearing it, and every day he's asking people, what time is it? And he doesn't know that he has a watch or the ability to tell time until someone points it out to him and says, hey, you're asking me all the time. Did you know that right there on your wrist you can tell what time it is? And that's, that's similar to the experience of awakening. It's like realizing, oh, all this time I knew. Uh, another, you know, we've all experienced that Where's my phone or where are my sunglasses? And you're looking everywhere and you're searching and searching and searching. And then you realize, oh, they were on my head the whole time. Um, that's that's like understanding or experiencing the nature of being awake. It's realizing everything that I have to be happy was already here to be found in the present moment. That's the nature of being awake. Remember the essential lesson of the third noble truth that we talked about, uh, I believe, in the second episode was the truth It's that the limiting ideas that we hold about ourselves and others and virtually every other experience can be unlearned. And in that moment, suffering ends. And there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to resist. Not even death can trouble you. So from the moment we're born, remember, we begin to acquire labels and concepts and ideas and beliefs. And and like tinted glasses, these blind us to the reality of what life is. Being awakened is to become aware of how things really are, without concepts, without labels, without stories. It's like removing the tinted glasses and finally seeing life as it really is. And the Buddha taught that there were 84,000 ways to achieve enlightenment. So that's to say there are many paths. There's not a single absolute path to achieving it. And the Buddhist approach is just one path. It's not the path. The Buddha was essentially saying, this is just what I did, and this is what I recognized. So don't believe anything I say just because I say so. Try this stuff out for yourselves. So these things that you can try out for yourselves, what are the things that we can do to experience mindfulness? Because remember, this isn't a concept that can just be conveyed intellectually. I can't just explain to you, hey, this you know, this is the experience of enlightenment. Boom, and explain it. But I'm going to give you 11 tools to experience uh, this awakened nature, this mindful living. So, mindful living is is being able to live uh, a way in which you experience awakening or enlightenment. So, let's talk about this. I'm going to share 11 tools for mindfulness. The first one is meditation. You know, this is where mindful living really starts, and it doesn't have to be complicated. You just sit for five to 10 minutes, and you learn to just be in the present moment. You learn to just be with things. You can focus your attention on your breath. You can notice when your thoughts wander from your breath and you gently return to the breath. So we've all at some point probably sat out under the sky and just watched clouds go by. Meditation is a similar experience, but you're doing this with the mind and you're observing the thoughts. And really the exercise of meditation, it's, just, it's the same thing over and over. You focus your attention on one thing you observe it. And the moment you realize you're distracted, you bring your attention back to that one thing. For example, breathing, just like you're sitting outside, you're an observer watching the clouds go by. So meditation is is a powerful way of learning to experience mindfulness because it's the exercise of learning to be present, learning to be in the moment, observing things as they are, learning to just see life as it is without assigning meaning, without uh making meaning of of the things that that present themselves in life so the second tool is to be present so meditation is the practice for being present and you know that feeling when someone's been talking to you and then suddenly you realize you actually haven't been paying attention so you kind of have to pause and say wait say that again yeah so that is the opposite this is the opposite of that being present is something that you do throughout the day all the time and and it, and you have to remember, and remembering is the trick. It's, we're so easily and naturally distracted that uh, it's hard to just be present and to focus. So this is kind of an exercise, and that meditation can help us to learn to be present, which uh, people will really appreciate when you can be really present with someone. So a third tool is to watch for distractions. You know, we constantly have the urge to check email, check social media, Um This behavior of distraction can be found, uh, distraction from how life is. We lose ourselves in other things. You know, people who um, distract themselves from the reality of life by uh, consuming drugs or alcohol, it's done as a distraction because they can't bear how life is. So we want to watch for the distractions that are trying to take us away from the reality of accepting life as it is. And these urges, they come and they go. You don't have to act on them. And anything that distracts you from being present is a distraction that uh, ultimately is distracting you from living life. So look for your distractions. What are the distractions? And then maybe ask yourself when distractions arise, why? what is it that I'm trying to be distracted from? What is it about life that I don't enjoy? Why am I being distracted? And then fourth, we're going to let go of all expectations. And here's the thing. We all have expectations all the time. We have the expectation that our our day is going to go a certain way, that people will be kind and respectful to us. We have the expectation that everything's going to go according to plan. And when things don't, we feel that we failed. When water encounters a new obstacle, it immediately adapts and it goes around. And that's kind of how we have to um, approach life. I recently read an article that was circulating on Facebook that I really liked that said life is like a Tetris game and we need to quit playing it like it's a chess game. And I thought how appropriate that really is a a really healthy way of viewing life. It's like Tetris you're playing and then object objects present themselves and you never know in what configuration and the whole purpose of the game is learning to take what presents itself and arranging it or twisting it in a way that works best. And it's never in the way that's ideal because you know you have to position it wherever it's going to fit. Even if that's not ideal, it might be the most ideal that you were able to work with in the time that you had. So let go of the expectations of, of what life should be. Quit playing the chess game and learn to see life like Tetris. So that leads us to the fifth tool, accepting people as they are, accepting life as it is. So when I stopped trying to change a loved one and I started to accept this person for uh, who they were, I was able to just be with this person and enjoy time with, uh, enjoy time with her. And this acceptance has been, the this has the same effect with everything you do, whether it's a coworker, a family member, a child, a spouse, a loved one, um, could be a situation learning to accept a bad situation. Remember early on, I mentioned the, analogy of of the horse and who knows what is good and what is bad when an unpleasant feeling or an annoying sound or an annoying situation in life springs up much like the the Tetris game we need to stop trying to fight the way things are and just accept okay this is what is here's the piece that's presented itself the moment you can accept it you can work with it the fifth tool is uh, accepting people as they are accepting life as it is And this kind of goes hand in hand with letting go of expectations. So if I'm expecting life to be a certain way and it continually presents itself in a different way, think of the Tetris game. You know, you're playing Tetris. What if every time a new piece comes up, instead of immediately working with it, I'm frustrated saying, no, I needed a square, not this rectangle or not this bar then we're not, you know, the key to playing is you have to accept the moment it presents itself, that new shape, you accept it. Okay. This is what is now you have more time to work with it and figure out where it's going to fit, how it's going to benefit you most sitting there and resisting it, continually thinking, this is not fair. I was not supposed to get a square. I was supposed to get a bar or I was supposed to get, you know, whatever the shape is. it's a waste of time. So we need to accept people and life as it is, just like you would in a Tetris game. When a new shape presents itself, we need to stop trying to fight uh, the way we think things should be and just accept what is. We're going to be much more at peace when we learn to do this. And this kind of leads to the sixth tool to learn, to be okay with discomfort. See the fear of discomfort is huge. It causes people to be stuck in their old habits. Um, to not start the you know the business that they want, or I'm stuck in the job I don't really like, or because we tend to stick to what we know and what we're comfortable with rather than trying something new and unknown, something uncomfortable, that's why a lot of people you know don't try vegetables or they don't exercise, or it's why they eat junk. It's why you don't start something new because you know that the moment you expose yourself to something new, you don't know what's coming. It's like saying. I don't want to play Tetris because I don't like panicking when a new shape comes in. And yet that's the very nature of life. So we can be okay with discomfort and we do that by practicing. You can start that with little things that are a little uncomfortable and just expand your comfort zone and get used to uh, being okay with discomfort. And I think a really good way to do this is meditation. You know, it can be uncomfortable to just sit there in silence with your own thoughts. And yet the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with whatever arises. So the exercise of learning to sit and observe the thoughts in the mind like you would clouds in the sky is an excellent way to practice being okay with discomfort. Um, The seventh tool, watch your resistance. So when you try to do something uncomfortable or you try to give up something, um, you're going to find resistance. But you can just watch the resistance and be curious about it. So watch your resistance to things that annoy you, whether it's a loud sound that interrupts your concentration. Um, it's, notice that it's not really the sound that's the problem. It's your resistance to the sound. And the same can be true of resistance to anything. Anything that you like, or that you don't like or that you're resistant to, the problem isn't the sensation of the being uncomfortable. It's that we're resisting it. So watch that resistance and, and just feel it melt. Again, going back to the Tetris analogy here, watching your resistance would be like watching while I play, when the shape comes in, that was not the shape that I want, watch how I resist that. How long do I hold on to the thought and the anger of that is not the shape I wanted versus how quickly can I learn to just adapt and accept how it is and say, okay, this is what is now I'm going to work with it. The eighth tool for mindful living is to be curious. See, too often we're just stuck in our ways and we think that we know how things should be. We know how people are, how people should be. And instead of being curious and finding out, we need to um, allow ourselves to experiment and let go of what you think you know and let go of what you think how you think things should be. So when you start a new project or a new venture, you know, if you feel the fear of failure, instead of thinking, "Oh no, I'm going to fail." Or, oh, no, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Just try thinking, let's see. Let's see what's going to happen here. Let's find out. And then there isn't the fear of failure, but the joy of just being curious and finding out. It's Learning to be okay with not knowing what Tetris piece is coming up next. So you can find yourself in this position where you learn to be curious while you're positioning whatever piece you've got in the game. You're thinking, I wonder what's going to show up next. See, it's the mental approach here, it's pretty different to play Tetris and think, I wonder what's going to show up next versus it better be a square. It better be a square. It better be a square. You know, just be curious. Huh? I wonder what's going to show up next. And the moment it does, you accept it. And now what, how am I going to work with it? That leads us to the next one. The ninth step is to learn to be grateful. We tend to complain about everything. And yet life is a miracle. You know, finding something to be grateful about in everything that you do is it's an exercise when the more aware that we become, the more mindful we learn to live, the more we become grateful. And it's, it's gratitude, uh, that makes us happy. It's not happiness that brings us gratitude. It's gratitude that brings us happiness. So learning to be grateful about everything is a powerful way of learning to be mindful. And you can be grateful when you're with someone and you'll be happier when you're with them. You can learn to be grateful for the experience of being alive. Life is really amazing and you'll learn to appreciate it when you can be grateful for it. The 10th one is to let go of control. This is a really tough one. So we often think we control things and that's only an illusion Our obsession with organization and goals and productivity. For example, they're rooted in the illusion that we actually control life, but life is uncontrollable. And just when we think we have things under control Something unexpected comes up to disrupt everything, and then we're frustrated because things didn't turn out the way we wanted. So we can learn to practice letting go of control. and this doesn't mean that we have zero control in life that's that's what makes it so tricky. There are aspects of life that we have control over, and then that feeds the illusion that, oh well, we must control all of it. The reality is we don't. There are circumstances that we're somewhat in control of, but overall, we're playing a Tetris game, remember, and whatever comes up is just what comes up. We don't control that, but we do control what we do with each shape as it shows up, how we use it. So learn to just go with the flow, like playing Tetris, go with whatever life is presenting. And as it presents it, you, you live moment to moment to moment. So you can't play Tetris thinking while I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with this bar that just showed up. I can't be thinking, well, 10 shapes from now, what am I going to be doing with whatever that shape is? Because you don't know. We don't know. We can only deal with these from moment to moment to moment. And now I want to talk about the 11th step. This to me is the most important one. It's to learn to be compassionate and it may sound trite, but compassion for others can literally change the way you feel about the world on a day to day basis. And compassion for yourself is life-changing. So you need to remember these two things. Mindful living is about remembering to be compassionate after you forget. It's remembering to be mindful. And I mentioned before, the purpose of Buddhist teachings isn't to obtain happiness. It's to obtain freedom. So when someone who's been held captive is released and they regain their freedom, freedom from their captors, freedom from whatever torture or suffering they were made to endure, freedom from a cell block or a room that they were in. With this freedom, new opportunities exist that were not available before. And it may be as simple as the freedom to go outside for a walk. But it's important to understand that freedom is always relative to something else. Freedom to, freedom from. And as sentient beings, we're held captive. We're constrained by the worldviews of our time. Our language, our societal views, our finances, our geographical limitations, our beliefs, our physical bodies, and even the laws of nature. So the freedom of awakening through the concept of, like Buddhist concept of nirvana, it's grounded in the cessation of craving. So craving for a fixed sense of identity, craving for permanence, craving um, from suffering, or craving for an answer, or you know, craving for the next shape in the Tetris game to be whatever that shape is. The twist here is that we're actually our own captors. We keep ourselves captive by clinging out of delusion and fear to a self that is independent of all other causes and conditions. And ironically, it's this sense of independence that's confused with a sense of freedom. And the aim of Buddhist teachings is to free ourselves from this illusion. We can achieve freedom by understanding the nature of impermanence, interdependence, and emptiness. And meditation and skillful living allows us to cultivate awareness of the freedom present in every moment we experience. Applying this again to the Tetris game, it's the freedom to enjoy the game as it unfolds moment to moment with whatever the game throws our way. Whatever life throws at you, contained in the present moment is everything that you need To enjoy and be happy with the experience of living. Consider how your breathing carries on independently of whether you're mindful to it or not. But as soon as you start paying attention to it, you tend to try to control or constrain it. Now it's under your breathing, under the pattern that you are controlling. And it's difficult to try to just observe it because the very act of observing it makes it controlled. But next time you're meditating, try to wait for the in-breath to happen on its own. When your body determines that it's ready, it just breathes. And by holding or waiting for a second, you know that the in-breath is coming, but you're not exactly certain when. You're just paying full attention, and you're free from any intention to control or any expectation of when it's going to happen, but suddenly it will. It just happens. And then you'll understand it's not the I, the self, that's breathing, it's more like it is breathing, and you realize you are a part of the experience of being alive. It can be unnerving to experiencing the breath this way, because again, we're constantly in control. And as you focus on mindfulness, the breath is one of the bodily functions that is both automatic and controlled. And while the breath may initially serve as the object of concentration, it's by letting go of any urge to control it that we can witness in its rhythmic motions the intrinsic freedom of reality itself. Breathing is the movement of life. It's the vital process that connects our body with the environment. And the more we open and deepen our awareness of the breath and body, the more we understand the dynamics of our entire experience of living. See, nothing stands still or permanent, whether it's our breath, our heartbeat, our body, our feelings, our thoughts. What part of any of this can we really claim as me or mine? As we sit there, aware of the breath, it is on the one hand ordinary and obvious, and yet on the other, it's a mystery that we breathe at all. Reality is a dynamic play of relationships. Awakening to this reveals our own intrinsic freedom, because we too are by nature a dynamic play of relationships. When we're locked into the assumption that the self and things are unchanging, they're absolute and permanent, will continue to remain confined and unfree. And not only are we our own captors, but we're really good at convincing ourselves that we're not captive in the first place. You could say that Buddhist teachings or practice has two main objectives. The first is to let go of self centered craving so that our lives can become gradually more awake. And the second is to be receptive to the sudden eruption of awakening into our lives that can happen at any moment. Awakening is both a linear process of freedom that's cultivated over time, and at the same time, it's an ever present possibility that can arise at any given moment. Awakening doesn't provide us with answers or with a set of ideas, it doesn't provide us with a philosophical or religious doctrine. It's By its very nature, it's free from the constraints of any preconceived idea, belief, or doctrine. It offers no answers. It only offers the possibility of new beginnings. This would be like playing the Tetris game again. Awakening is the realization that at any given moment, whatever presents itself is now part of my game. I get to decide what to do with it. And nirvana is like simply breathing. You breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. And you breathe in and you live, but you must also let go and breathe out. You you know, we don't breathe in a way that we breathe in. We need oxygen. Now I'm going to hold on to it. See, if you don't let go, you suffocate. The key to awakening is to let go. Letting go of expectations. Just, it's, it's really that simple. We have the tendency to want to make the idea of awakening this big grandiose thing. When the reality is that awakening or enlightenment, it's just simply letting go even letting go of the concept of awakening, letting go of the concept of enlightenment. It's letting go of everything and and accepting that we're playing a game of Tetris and that the most we can do is play with each part from moment to moment to moment as it presents itself. I want to finish this section on mindful living with a quote from Robert Ingersoll. He says, May we realize that happiness is the only good. The time to be happy is now, The place to be happy is here, and the way to be happy is to make others so. And now I want to mention the concept of karma. This is one of the most well-known words from the Buddhist vocabulary, and it's probably also the most misunderstood. Typically, when you hear the word karma, you probably think of something like uh, what goes around comes around, or some form of uh, cosmic form of justice. But that's not quite right. I'm sure you've noticed that what we deem as good things, good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. Where's the justice in that? Well, the understanding of karma is that there is no justice system. Simply stated, karma is nothing more than the law of cause and effect within a system of interdependence. We've talked about interdependence. Everything depends on other things, right? Cake exists because flour, eggs, sugar, etc. So, remember that analogy. Karma is the law of interdependence. So rather than thinking of karma as, if I do something good, I'll get something good. Or if I do something bad, something bad will happen to me. It's really a lot more simple than that. The proper thinking of understanding karma is as simple as knowing, if I do something, something will happen. And that's it. We don't have to assign meaning to that, good or bad. You know, It's as simple as understanding that karma means action. So the lesson here that we need to really pay close attention to is that what we do affects not only ourselves, but others. It affects everything. So I think with a proper understanding of karma comes this incredible sense of responsibility and knowing that the things that I say and do and think are constantly changing everything. It's like we're in this intricate web of causes and conditions that all of us are a part of, every, every sentient being. And the things that I say and do or, and think are affecting that not only for myself, but others around me and and sometimes others in ways that I could never even begin to conceive. That's the understanding of karma. It just means action. The mistake that we make is giving meaning to that action, thinking there are good things and there are bad things. And what goes around comes around. That That's all based on, remember, the three poisons, the things that we want and things that we don't want. Don't allow those things to crowd into the understanding that all this really means is if I do something, something will happen. When something is done, something happens. Cause and effect. Causes and conditions. Everything has causes and conditions. That's the law of karma. The law of action. And with that, that essentially covers all of the main topics that we could say would be a, a brief introduction to Buddhist philosophy, to Buddhist thinking. So these first five episodes in the podcast are intended to be an overview of secular Buddhism in general. What is the philosophical understanding of uh, concepts that come from Buddhist philosophy? Um, I want to finish this with a quote from Dogen. And he says, the way of the Buddha is to know yourself. To know yourself is to forget yourself. To forget yourself is to be awakened by all things. I hope as we've discussed these topics that you you can really come to understand uh, emptiness, impermanence, and interdependence, and specifically how understanding these concept, concepts, what are the implications of the self, of the other, myself and other. You realize it's an illusion. All we are is, is all we are. And the moment that we add stories and meanings and ideas and beliefs to things, It makes it very difficult to just see things as they really are. And I think perhaps the best way to view life, just like I mentioned before uh, in that article, view life as a game of Tetris. And we're playing the game, making the best use of whatever shows up when it shows up, accepting it for what it is the moment it's there, and working with it rather than resisting it or wishing it was something other than it is. Because that's exactly how life is. Things present themselves, and our only option is to accept it and work with it. And you play this game on and on and on until the game's over. And rather than sitting there unhappy about the game that I have versus the game that you have, and why I got this piece and you got that piece, I can learn to accept what I have and be grateful that I'm actually here playing. See, that's the beauty of uh, gratitude, is that we learn to be grateful for the fact that we're alive. What could we possibly want more than, than just being alive? I hope you've enjoyed these first five episodes. And I'm excited for the next several episodes. I still intend on doing uh, various uh, more in-depth studies on these topics. But these first five were designed to just kind of lay out the entire landscape of Buddhist thinking, of Buddhist philosophical concepts. And if you have any questions on the things that we've discussed so far, please uh, reach out to me. My email is noah, N-O-A-H, at secularbuddhism.com. And just feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or comments or concerns or further, further clarification on, on any of these topics. Uh, I'm really excited to continue doing this podcast, and I look forward to the next episode. Thank you for being a part of this and for listening. <laughs>